You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative, and here to help me talk about the assembled Avengers is John Mills. Indeed I am, or am I, in fact, a shadow of myself uh, impersonated by Loki? That's a big question. I I don't know. Uh, all I know is, man. Wait, we just passed through a pillar. Now I'm somebody else. <laughs> uh, can you... Can I just this costume? I mean, I, ah, I feel the righteousness. Ugh. How can how can you how can you squeeze in as many cameos as possible in thirty seconds? It's, Thor: The it's, Dark World will show you how. It's absolutely true. Um, and I guess not to spoil it for anyone, but the cameo with Chris Evans is hysterical. So yes, yes, it is. I mean, yes, it is. That that's that's well done humor right there. So absolutely. Anyway. Uh, of course, uh, tonight, um, or tomorrow, or today, whenever you're listening to this, we are going to be talking about Thor The Dark World as we are firmly entrenched now in Phase 2 of the MCU. Of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're in the same feed as the 602 Club, so we'd appreciate you subscribing to that. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, making sure uh, as well, if you're on Apple Podcasts, giving us a star rating review there. It definitely helps people find the show. Uh, and, you know, we'd love for you to follow us over on Twitter at the 602 Club or on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We're also on letterboxd uh if you don't know that we're over there on letterboxd under the 602 club so you can follow us there we've even got lists going of you know different things like snyder cuts or assembling avengers you can follow uh and see um uh things there uh and of course just about every uh, film that we've covered and in fact every film we have colored covered is is on letterboxd and so uh you can also check us out uh the entire network over on facebook at facebook.com slash track fm we've got the listeners only discussion group called the babel conference you can join and that allows you to talk to listeners from all over the world about the shows that we have going on the network and of course you can find us online at track.fm and um if you like the show and you like the network uh, we would appreciate if you go over to Patreon and support us there so we can make sure all of this quality content keeps coming to you. And that's at patreon.com slash FM. So, John, like many of the Marvel movies, honestly, uh, there is um, some there's a, some interesting backstory with this one. And part of that has to do with the fact that they actually hired uh, Patty Jenkins, who went on, as uh, as many people know, to direct Wonder Woman. Uh, she was actually hired here first uh, to mm -hmm. direct Thor The Dark World. And I wanted to ask you about that because um, one of the things that she wanted to do with the story was kind of give this a more Romeo and Juliet feel. She really actually wanted um, Thor to be 
you know, banned from going to Earth to rescue her. Uh, she wanted this whole story about the, the Dark Elves hiding the ether on Earth because Odin doesn't actually care about Earth, which I thought was also very interesting as a story plot point. And so, what do you... I, when you know what she obviously did with Wonder Woman uh, and obviously, you know, uh, kind of knowing what she's capable of as a director... Obviously, we're talking in hindsight. So, how do you feel about you know Patty Jenkins not getting the opportunity, and and even just thinking about her ideas? What do you think of those? Well, I mean, like you said, you never know. I think that uh, she is a really good director. I think that it's fair to reference Wonder Woman and say, well, gosh, look at Wonder Woman and look what she did with that story and how great it was. But then. To be fair, you can then look at Wonder Woman 1984 and say, well, that one was less successful in how it was put together and everything and its reception. And I think that, and I I know I beat this drum constantly, but I think it all starts with the script. And obviously her ideas are more, uh, more focused, it sounds like. Basically everything tied more together. And having a more Romeo and Juliet feel would have put the focus on the relationship between Hemsworth and Portman, which quite possibly could have really benefited this movie and given it a little bit more heart and something a little bit more resonant and accessible instead of, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to tip my hand instead of just basically dissembling into a collection of, you know, story by bullet point again right uh, which is a trap that marvel falls into uh more than once already uh, as we're going through i mean i know that you know you being a bigger uh dc fan especially by this point in the timeline uh, i'm guessing you you probably would there there's probably some alternate timeline where you really wish she had directed this but would she have gotten wonder woman if she'd done this yeah, that's a good question, uh, and I don't know if that's the case. And so, you know, I would obviously take her getting Wonder Woman, uh, you know, over doing this film uh, for sure, just because I think her Wonder Woman is is fantastic. You know, um, and again, this is nothing to do with Wonder Woman eighty four and my feelings on that. You know, Wonder Woman is a fantastic uh, comic book film, I think, and um, yeah, I think she brought. You know, everything you wanted to that, a real gravitas to it, a lot of fun to it. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, when I hear her ideas, I, I do think one of the things I, I you mentioned, and I think it, it's right on target in the sense that the script there sounds like it has slightly more cohesion. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think... Uh, Rewatching this film was just an interesting thing for me because I have not seen this film in legitimate years. Like, I think I saw this in the theater and that was it, you know. Um, And so it's been a really long time uh, and I've had one opinion of it. So kind of coming back to it, especially in quick succession with the rest of the films that we've been talking about was was fascinating. But I, I do think that, you know, if there's anything I could ding this for uh, in, in the film wise is that it doesn't feel as cohesive story-wise as it should. Um, and mm-hmm. part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that they are trying to do a lot relationally with Thor, 
and the different relationships in his life, like with Jane, like with his brother, like with his parents. Um, and some of that I think works better than the first film, and some of that I think maybe doesn't work quite as well as that first film with Thor. So it, I think her idea sounds good. Obviously, again, it all comes down to execution. Uh, and so um, I, I want to ask you then, you know, uh, so we bring in Alan Taylor, who's known for doing things like Game of Thrones and Mad Men, things like that. Obviously, Game of Thrones is probably really what gets him this job uh, because, you know, Game of Thrones is basically like doing a film uh, every week uh, uh, as you direct an episode. And their goal here was to kind of make a slightly more grounded feel to Asgard, uh, give it a little bit more of the Viking feel, um, not feel as... Not that it's not fantastical, but just make it feel more real. Like, I I think that's really the... And so I wanted to ask you if you felt like, does that come across to you at all uh, in in this movie? You know, does does Taylor get that across in a way that maybe Brana didn't? No. I think that this movie is, you know, quote-unquote darker. This is, this movie, the direction to be quote-unquote more real feels just like when they became obsessed and the, the amorphous they, but just like when studios became obsessed with things need to be dark and gritty now. And so there's this veneer over it. And I don't think that it naturally belongs with this character. If I'm honest, the tone is better in the first one because it's lighter. It's not taking itself too seriously. And this this comes across as something that's taking itself too seriously. It's it's become, I think, obsessed at this point with that idea of, oh, we're going to make these real people. But then how real can you make it is the ultimate question. We're in the Marvel Universe. We've already sure. altered human history as we understand it. So I would have rather they embrace that. Now... Keep in mind, last week we talked about Iron Man 3, but Iron Man 3 still had that over-the-top spectacle, but we're talking about focusing on Thor's relationships and Thor working on himself. That's the same directive that Iron Man 3 has, and it's a completely different result. And it's, again, I go back to the script, co- yep. you know, a, a focused story about something more than events about an internal journey for a character. Hmm. That is, that's fascinating to me. Um, and I'm going to completely disagree with you. Uh, I think that Feel this free. movie is much more successful by making Asgard feel like a more real place. Um, and just, I mean, tactilely, it feels more real in many places. Um, oh, oh, which um, I, okay. So uh, hold on. I, I yeah. Which I get and I really like. And I think that tactile nature helps me connect more with the world of Asgard as a real place than making it because the first movie felt so much like just a green screen CGI place. This having a more tactile place, I was more connected to Asgard and 
kind of cared more about it as a place than the first movie. And so I think that's mm-hmm. where I, I think the goal of of making it feel more grounded really worked for me here where it doesn't work in the first movie. See, uh, okay. I, I think we're both, we're, we're talking about two sides of the same coin sort of thing. I agree. The sets and the effects by and large, this does feel like a more substantial place to be. This feels like something that could exist. Yes. Give you that. But the stuff underpinning that, that gives it the real sense of reality is what's missing for me. And, and it's because it takes itself so seriously. And as a result, I mean, I can understand, I know your, your complaints with the first one. And I, I, I get that. I, I acknowledge, but I guess then my counterpoint would be, I suppose what I am sensing is an overcompensation. They, 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 instead of, altering course slightly it feels like they're trying to do a 180 and it just doesn't work instead they yeah. just spin in a circle yeah I, I i mean i can i get what you're saying and I, I think i understand um why it doesn't work for you i think it just works for me better than it does for you here sure uh, and and so therefore this movie because of that becomes a little bit a lot more successful than the first thor movie uh, for me in in that too I also you know one of the focuses here and I think you rightly pinpointed the fact that you know Iron Man 3 it's this it's this journey for Tony and 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 you know you're they're actually trying to I think get right what they didn't in the second film I, I think here they're also trying to connect you more with the character of Thor uh, and and make him a more real vibrant like three-dimensional character um, and I think they're much more successful than uh, here uh, than they were in the first film. Um, and I think part of that was actually watching him interact with his father in a way where he's he's actually learned some things that make him a better king material now than even Odin, like. He surpassed his father in the ability to be a king of that Asgard actually needs, which I was really surprised by because I didn't remember this film having anything about the character of Thor. Um, I just remembered him being boring again. But this, I, I really, I felt like there was more weight to his story. There was more weight to his decision making. And I felt like there was more weight to his um, kind of, his experience in Avengers uh, and the first movie seems to have really impacted who the character is now. And to me, I appreciated that. Like if, if there's anything about this film that I liked more and I thought I was better than I remembered and impacted my thought process on this film was that this movie is actually about Thor and I I appreciated that. And it's it's about his relationship with his parents. It's about his relationship with Jane. It's about his relationship with Loki. But it's also about his relationship with himself and what he's learned. And so I, I if there's anything I respond better to, it is that. And I think it's 
in that way much more successful. Now I'm not I'm not speaking as the film of the whole, uh, but that part I think is is much better for me. Uh, I, I it it doesn't work particularly well for me because I think that they wind up. I acknowledge those things and I know what they're trying to do and I know the direction they've pointed him in and I and it's a good direction. I acknowledge that, but I think that uh, they rob a lot of his charm in this movie. He might have been, uh, you know, a, a a ditzy mimbo in the first one, but in this one, I, I want a little bit more of that mimbo back. I want a little bit more of the fun that was there. Like it's it's they just they they dampened the flame too much. Uh, with, with Hemsworth here, well, I guess which you'll, is and you'll uh, be ready then for oh, okay, see, <laughs> see, now, now, see, but but see that's that's the point I'm trying to get at is that um not not to tip too too far here. No, I, I know think the whole, all all three Thor movies are uh story basically uh, a study in overcompensation, mm-hmm. where you have the sure. first one which which I plug into because it's like it's fun, it's sort of campy it's it's bright and it's it's engaging mm-hmm. and and have some Great. charisma and energy there and then this one they're like oh well we went too far in that one direction so let's go this way and i i see it as they they turned 180 and it's like okay you you, you could have just made a right turn and not tried to sure. turn completely sure. around and then they wind up turning 180 again mm-hmm. uh, and then creating a whirlpool in right. thor ragnarok where i you just don't even know what the hell they're doing and uh, yeah. so, not to tip my hand on that one, I look forward no, to rewatching. I understand what that, you're saying, but yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and I think I think I liked what you said there uh, about the idea of like doing the 180. And I, I, and I, I, for me, I I don't think that it. I really see this movie as kind of being, you know, the 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 darker sequel in the sense that you know many middle parts of a trilogy are the darkest part of the trilogy. And so having this kind of more serious uh, tone, I think ended up working for me better. And you know how, I mean, obviously I'm more of a fan of the Snyderverse. So when your movie takes itself a little bit more seriously, and I kind of appreciated uh, that this movie took itself a little bit more seriously and it took, it took the weight that's on Thor as a character that is, that is straddling two worlds where he has become connected with the world on earth. And he is still connected obviously with Asgard and trying to find a way to do what's best for both. Um, but obviously having his heart be pulled towards earth, I think was really interesting. Now, again, I'm just speaking specifically about the story for the character of Thor, not necessarily saying that this entire movie works, you know, like gangbusters, but at least for the title character, I I get I I really like it a lot more. Um, and for that, right? And I, you know, yes, I I acknowledge that's that is something they're trying to do here. Um, but it definitely gets lost in this. Uh, I I was actually talking about this, like sorting through my feelings. This is the second time I've seen this. The first time mm-hmm. I saw it, no lie was after Endgame because this movie had such a terrible reputation yeah. right out of the gate. <laughs> it does. People, people told me I skipped Iron Man too, because people were like, it's not that great. This one, people were coming out of the theater saying, stay far away from it. It doesn't matter. Don't go. It just skip it. You'll be fine without it. And I was fine without it. And I think that is the biggest 
uh, damning comment you can make about sure. the movie is it was completely unnecessary in a sense in because by this point we're caught up in the the marvel narrative i need to watch these movies to put the tapestry together and so that's a massive misfire if you have one of those movies be essentially pointless in your build up to the next movie since we're paying for tv installments here sure sure and i and think- I think that's a good point because one of the questions I want to ask you is that, you know, it's interesting to me that actually, you know, as we learn in the Avengers that we're basically looking towards Thanos and yeah. most likely an affin- Infinity Gauntlet story, right? And the yep. Thor movies are the ones that have introduced us to both Infinity Stones. Uh, you know, first movie introduced us uh, to the Tesseract, um, which was there in the armory. And then this movie introduces us to the ether, which is the next Infinity Stone. So I think it's really interesting that the Thor movies have been the ones to introduce us to these massive things. But I, I, in in some ways, I think it makes sense because you know they're the 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 power out there in the universe. And so, um, yeah, that that really surprised me. I totally forgot that. Yeah, both of the the two first infinity stones come from the thor films yeah i you know it's uh i i just wish that they had picked a direction i really hate what they did with the dark elves and the dark world in this sure it comes across so much you point out alan taylor Hey, he worked on Game of Thrones. I've only watched the first season of Game of Thrones. I know. Every time I say it, everybody says, what? Only the first season? But yes, that's right. Your ear holes are working. I've only watched the first season because I was bored by the end of it. Maybe I'll go back and, and try it again in, in, in the future. Anyway, I basically these Dark Elves very much play, I guess, the way the White Walkers in... Uh, in Game of Thrones wind up playing out where it's like it's this enemy that if the conditions are right are going to come through and just blah blah or whatever. But more importantly, it really feels like a Lord of the Rings ripoff at the beginning of this movie. And that's the moment at which I start disconnecting mm-hmm. because it's oh back before I'm like this is I saw this. This is Sauron with the ring. What do I Okay. Sure. Well, you you're not even trying to do your own thing yep. at this point. Yep. And here is where I would 100% agree with you in the sense that I don't – I think one of the major downfalls of this film happens to be the villain uh, and the villains in in the Dark Elves. And like you said, it, it does feel very Lord of the Rings-ish. And this is one of the places where, as we talked about at the beginning, I do think that Patty Jenkins' storyline – that she had thought of feels a little bit more cohesive in the sense that everything kind of flows together better and, and it fits like it connects better um, than it being like a prologue where then, you you know, we find out the ether's hidden right. on earth, but it's not really for any good reason. You know, it's not like on purpose. It just happens to be really an accident, honestly, because it happened during the convergence and where they put it just happens to be on, you know, like, all of that stuff, it it, it, it's, it feels more contrived than actually a really well-oiled plot that makes these villains 
more necessary to the story because in the end it feels like you could put almost any type of villain here and there's nothing really special about Malekith or the you know the the dark elves honestly let me ask you a question do you think that this movie works better if they go ahead and they tear the band-aid off and they have the discovery of the ether and then have like a flashback with narration of oh you found this thing here's how it got there so instead of opening with it they have it sort of nestled in the middle where they say hey jane you drew the short straw let me tell you what's inside you so that there's some sort of sense of it being relayed to her Mm -hmm. the enormity of Mm. what and the ether so the ether is the soul stone but i thought a normal mortal touching the stone would blow you apart like the only reason Star Lord yeah. can hold it is because he's Ego's son, so we have lineage there that mm-hmm. that works yeah. out. That's why he can hold that one stone. It'll be an interesting thing for us to track, you know. Um, and I think is it the Soul Stone or is it the Mind Stone? I don't know what's I. I you know what? Can I be completely honest with you? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the ether M- is. Mind yeah. stone. Yeah. Uh, mind stone, soul stone, halfway stone, gall stone, bladder stone, kidney stone, whatever. Whatever stone it is. If mm-hmm. it's a stone, then Natalie Portman is supposed to be blown apart by it, correct? That is a great question. Um, so let, let me ask you this, because this whole thing about it being a stone, I thought so it's, it's the, the reality stone was what stone. was in. That's what it is. Okay. It's the reality yeah. stone. Okay, whatever, fine. It's a stone. So, yeah, and the mind stone, which stone is in Loki's scepter? Uh, that would be uh, the space stone. So the That's space stone? The tesseract was, yes. Okay, the Tesseract was the space stone. Wasn't there a stone in Loki's scepter when he was controlling it, it's, Hawkeye? It's the, it, well, it's a part of the space stone, I believe. So, yeah. Man, I watched all these movies and I'm still having trouble tracking I, all of this yeah, nonsense. This it's, is this is nuts. You know what? I'm sure I'm sure that there is somebody listening to this or, right now or the yelling at their stone, speakers. Like uh, it says, uh, the scepter was a weapon utilized. It utilized the yellow mind stone housed inside the, a blue computer module. So I don't know. Listen, um, it doesn't anyway, matter. I My would, question I, stands. Let's just let's just say that it's confusing. <laughs> Well, uh, but I mean, again, it's it's the consistency thing about it. Yeah. Does it destroy somebody or not sort yeah. of thing? And I don't care whether it's I honestly don't care whether it's consistent or not. Obviously, it didn't impact my enjoyment of anything. Sure. And. I just I, I think just so long as we're getting back to that and talking about uh, Natalie Portman. I, I got to say, man, there is surprisingly zero chemistry between her and Hemsworth in this movie. None whatsoever. The scenes with them play like people who have just read the script for the first time and they just Mm -hmm. turn the cameras on. There is absolutely no magnetism between them, which proves significantly even more frustrating than the first one because Sif basically declares her intentions for Thor and they do have chemistry on screen in the brief moments that happen. And I'm sitting there and I'm, what well, Thor, why would you even pay attention to this person? You have nothing 
there's no spark here. And I, I, I'm not alone in that, right? Do you see anything that makes you believe in love that spans the galaxies? Okay, so this is, I think you really hit on, the, I mean, the two main issues here are the fact that the storyline with the Dark Elves isn't great. And the storyline with Jane isn't great because Portman and Hemsworth don't have chemistry. And so this whole longing he has for Earth and for Jane, I don't feel it because I don't sense the chemistry between the actors. And therefore, as much as I like what they're doing with the character of Thor himself... It's not a, it's not to the level it could be. Like this could be a great movie if mm-hmm. the dark elves are a more substantial villain and there's chemistry between Jane and Thor. You mm-hmm. do those two things, this is a much better story. But because I just don't really care about Jane because the connection that she has with Hemsworth isn't electric. You know, I need I need it to be like struck by lightning type of thing, right? Like No, hey, hey, there you go. Yeah. Um <laughs> which, you know, and this is the thing, like with Iron Man, we talked about we love, you know, uh Tony and Pepper together. And we we talked about how much we really appreciated the relationship between Betty and Bruce in Hulk, right? We also talked about how much the relationship between, you know, Cap and Agent Carter, it's, it is electric, you know, and we talked about ways we thought that that could have been even better, right? Mm -hmm. Here, two movies in, there's just no chemistry between these two characters. And that's what I think makes this movie fall the flattest because, yeah. I don't I'm more invested in Thor's family drama, which I think is really good between his parents and his brother and himself. The the struggles of like, you know, um, his parents wanting him to marry one person and that's not what he wants. You know, he wants somebody else. That's all great. But it would have blown people's minds if you actually cared about the fact that, you know, him and Jane might not get to be together. Whereas I am sitting there thinking Dude, bro, why aren't you going for Sif? She's right there, and she's like awesome, you know. Yeah, and you have and, more, and there's more chemistry there. So it 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 undercuts what they're trying to do with that portion of the story. And this is the thing that makes this such a mixed bag of a film is the fact that half the film doesn't work the way they need it to. Well, and I think it also gets back to the idea: if you subtract the dark elves, you find some other vehicle for like. The ether, it's the ether is the plot line I care the least about, and it's the one about the fate of the world. And I would have rather they focus on those human drama elements because it would have been engaging, it would have been interesting, and it would have been emotionally investing with everything. I would have loved a movie that was more like Iron Man 3, that right. was more focused on that type of journey. And I know that everybody that hated Iron Man 3 is yelling at the 
the speakers or the headphones right now or I mean, whatever. But I mean, they can be wrong. It's fine. Yeah, it, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but but the thing is, I think this would have been it's it's a good thing I didn't see this in the movie theater that I waited so long to see it because now I have the experience of seeing Iron Man three and then this right after, and it is a whiplash sort of effect because it is it is obvious that they they have this impulse and i think they will continue it with winter soldier to turn the character's gaze inward and self-reflective as they grow and recognize problems with the world around them mm-hmm. and i don't get that here i don't get sure. i i think the the ether part works even less because i don't feel like anybody there actually cares or or feels real da- there's no sense of danger or suspense it's uh this is just the thing they have to throw up there for blue lights and effects and i know you'll hate me going this down this route but it's the same problem with uh the first uh the first suicide squad movie where it's like oh, okay we got another world ending device we're going to we know that no oh, sure, okay sure. just keep no, going I, I mean I, it's I, why did you fall back yeah. on this I mean, and I can't fault you for that at all. I mean, because that is the problem with the Suicide Squad film, you know. Um, and, you know, even the director of that movie uh, wishes that he had just made, you know, the Joker the villain. So, yeah, uh, because of that. I I think the other problem here with the Aether and the Dark Elves is that with the Aether, we don't, and this is, we just had a discussion there, and we got lost as to what the, you know, these stones yeah. are, you know, and, and I, I think that this is another thing that kind of was a little, is frustrating rewatching this so far because they're not really actually doing a very good job of setting up these stones, uh, no. in the sense of like, what is, what is this ether and what does it do? You know, like, why do the elves want it other than it will help them make the world you know, the universe dark again, right? Like, other than that, like, I don't have any inclination that this alters reality. You know, right. that it that it does this thing to which is going to be obviously so important in the future, right? And so we're introducing this really important plot point, but I don't really have an understanding as to why it's so important other than the Dark Elves want it and it's going to make things dark. Like, okay, you know, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 it's not it's not as good of storytelling as I, I feel like it needs to be to really make me interested in the thing itself. It's just this MacGuffin that we're chasing, right? And therefore, yeah. like the Jane story... It's it's not it doesn't have the gravitas that it needs to have. And and therefore, you know, like I said earlier, it's like we end up in this place where, yes, I'm 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 really enjoying the fact that they're really trying to dig into this Thor character and give me some reason to kind of care about him as a character. But the things that are surrounding it that are kind of supposed to support that, like the villain and the the girlfriend are falling flat and that's a, that's a failing of the film yeah i um I, I go back to what i was saying to the you know the person i was talking about this you know it's this sort of process seeing it the second time of just it's a pork sandwich 
it's it's messy. It's got some flavor that you like. Now, the thing is, I love me a good pork sandwich. So I'm not saying pork sandwiches are a bad thing, but it's not how I would want like it's not how I would want this movie put together. It's got flavors. Right. It's got elements. It's got stuff and it's all slapped together. But right. it's a big old mess. Right. And it just because it it ends up yeah. being the McRib instead of the pork belly sandwich that's really well crafted, you know, like now, see, the thing is, you have to go down this road and throw shade at the McRib, which I think is completely uncalled for. And I don't I don't like that. I don't like that you're throwing shade at the McRib because that's that's a that's a bridge. That is that, my friend, is a bifrost yeah, too far. I said that specifically Bam, for our friend it. Yancey. So, uh, yeah. Yancey, if you're listening, how, that was for you. Um, how dare you? I dare I, you. I'm not a McRib fan, but, you know, give no. me a nice pork belly sandwich, which I've had, a, like, a, some really good ones where it's like I would eat that sandwich every day if it was possible. So, you know, but that's the problem is that that – I. This is what, like what you're saying, this is what they're creating. It's like, it's something that you throw away and eat when there's nothing else to eat, right? Whereas what you wanted this to be is something that you just want to continue to go back to, kind of like when we were talking about Iron Man 3. So we've been talking about the villain, and I got to ask you this, you know, because they have Chris Eccleston come in here. He played the doctor in, in, in season nine. Uh, there, uh, he was the first doctor back when they re- kind of rebooted the series. Um, they almost got uh, mad. just for just for anybody like me. He means Doctor Who, which is a show I've never watched yes, outside yes. of when they had old BBC reruns on PBS. Yes, uh, they they almost got Mads Mickelson to play the role. But the problem here is that and I want to ask you this is that doesn't matter who they got to play this role nope. because the makeup is so overbearing on their face that like. I, it's, I it's not like they have anything to do. I, I actually know Christopher Eccleston at a glance, and he doesn't look... I I couldn't pick out who was underneath the makeup here. It, it really didn't matter who they had. I Just like you're saying, didn't matter who they had in it, but not just because of the makeup, but his whole role is to walk on screen seriously and say things sometimes in dark elvish and then sometimes in English. And be bad. Okay. Like, he, he's a totally inconsequential villain, which is interesting because I think we can both agree that our gold standard villain is Loki from the Avengers because everybody loved him right. as the villain. I would argue that, that Guy Pierce in Iron Man 3 is right up there, too. But he's not he's not as much fun as Loki is. So Loki is our gold standard so far, along with Red Skull. We can't forget Red Skull. Red Skull's really fun, but we don't get that. We get, sadly, Malekith is more like, um, uh, 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 gosh, uh, um, why I, I can't Iron Man two. Um, oh yeah, he's more Flash. Yeah, yeah, he's more like Mickey Rourke's character, where it's like, okay, I guess. Sure, I'm I'm not afraid of him, and there's some interesting-ish things happening, but sure. I know he's going to lose, so whatever. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, you know, uh, knowing him from Doctor Who and what he's capable of, too, as a character actor, um, I think he's completely wasted um, here. And like you said, and, and I think... 
we haven't talked about this, but the fact that, you know, obviously Loki is back in this film and has a su- such a large role in it uh, in the sense that we're watching the repercussions of what happened in the Avengers. And I I didn't know this, but the character was actually supposed to die in this movie. Like they were literally going to kill Loki at the end. And test audiences did not believe that Loki was dead. So they huh. changed him dying and gave him this new ending where he's actually ruling Asgard. And so, I mean, really, I mean, Loki, again, is the villain in this movie, and he's much better than the actual villain, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah, completely agree. But I do I do have to ask, because we're, you know, we, we've talked about the effects, we've talked about the story, we've talked about the actors. I got to ask because i this is one of our favorite things to hit on this is our second brian tyler score so in terms of score what do you think of thor the dark world it's weird but brian tyler kills it i think i think he takes what patrick doyle did and makes it even better uh his whole goal here and and as is reading about the score he was saying his goal was to make this as epic as possible to make it feel as big and bold and and like and i actually really like this score um he utilizes the thor theme really well here he gives it like this kind of like gravitas and like he uses a lot of choral uh in in the movie which is cool you know having choirs sing you know which is something that's really I, i think really adds to and accentuates kind of the otherworldly and, and, you know, quote unquote, godly aspect of the character and the score. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think Brian Tyler, Iron Man three was fantastic. And then with this score, I think he's, you know, he's up there with Sylvester now with creating the best scores in the MCU. And, and, and this is actually a score regardless of whether I, rate this movie highly or not when we do our ratings i'll listen to this score now just just to have on like when i'm working and stuff because it's a great background score that doesn't necessarily need the movie to be enjoyable to listen to so for me this i you know this might be one of the best parts of the movie actually (laughs) oh it is it is and much like the uh, late great jerry goldsmith i think that tyler delivers a score that's better than the movie deserves is the only way I can put it where paying attention to the music while I'm watching it, I'm thinking to myself, well, at least he showed up, you know, like it, it, it it's, it, I agree with you. The score at the very least is something you can listen to and you can say, well, that's, that's pretty darn good. Uh, I, I just wish it was attached to a better movie is just all that I really wish. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, can agree with you on I mean on that front in the sense that I think that the score delivers in a way that the movie just doesn't and it is disappointing because I really think that you know the movie itself one of the things I do have to give it credit for is the sense that I do feel like that they learned from the first movie and that they did try to make changes and they I, I 
and I appreciate that, you know, that they, they took some lessons from the first movie and, and, and where I think the first movie, it was a little too simple, uh, of a story. I think that they really wanted to make something that had a little bit more, like, we're actually going to focus on the character that this movie is named after, and we're going to try and make you care about that character and his growth and and move him forward and all those things. And so, you know, I, I just, I think to me, that's something that I really appreciate. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, so uh, one of the questions we always ask, you know, was there anything that changed for you here? Um, was, you know, this is the second time that you've seen it. Honestly, this might only be my second or third time. I can't honestly remember. Um, and so, you know, was there anything good or bad that was, you know, better for you? Uh, before, before I get to that, I want to, I want to kick over to you. Is this, or is this not the first time we get a double stinger? That is a good question. We get two stingers here. Yes, we do. And the first one has to do with setting up Guardians and then Thor showing up at the end of the credits so that Jane knows that he still loves her, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is this our first inkling that Marvel's going to start to get a little too self-indulgent with these things? Because I think it is. Well, and, and, you know, uh, I think it's a good question because, you know, with the double stinger... uh, you called it beforehand in the sense that this is something where they kind of cheat and they don't place this in the movie and, but it's important for what's coming up next. Right. Right. And, you know, obviously if you don't see the fact that they hand this stone off to the collector who we'll see in guardians of the galaxy. And then we'll, of course we'll see once Thanos goes on his rampage looking for the stones. I mean, I know people love the stingers, but in all honesty, I feel like there's no reason for this to be a stinger. I agree. It easily could have been worked into the film. Uh, And I definitely think it's a happier ending to have Thor show up and give Jane a kiss and say, I haven't forgotten you. I'm not going to be a stranger. And you can still have the Loki ending where he reveals himself as the king and have that be the very, you can have Thor go back and say, listen, I got to go talk to my dad. I'll be back. I love you. Go back up, have the conversation with Odin, have him walk off. Loki reveals himself. You know, it's good to be the king movie ends. Everything's self-contained. There's no reliance on a stinger. And you have this sense of the last time we see Thor, he's basically leaving to go back to Jane what is he going to make it? Is it going to happen? Like, I think there's a real sense of. I, I think it's just better. Would it have saved the movie? Not this particular one. No, it wouldn't. But it, it I think it speaks to some of the structural stuff that, that you and I ha- have glommed onto. Sure. In terms of th- anything that changed since the one time I've watched it before this would. I, I think that and I think we've talked about this with um, Iron Man, too. Once you experience the bad, the second time it hits you, your reaction is not so uh, 
so strong because you know what to expect. It can't disappoint you again. It can just reinforce that it's not great. I mean, I I was left. I I think I this was true in the the first time. I they started to do some interesting things with Heimdall, but again, it was just the beginnings of interesting things, and it was. Well, that would have been something interesting to pursue and have more of in the movie. And so I just felt like he got shortchanged again. And, I, I, you know, I could have. So I do I have this vitriolic hate of it the way that I used to? No, but it's not because I like it anymore. It's just because I just knew what to expect going into it. What about you? Did anything shift? I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I feel like that I in the end of if kind of shared what shifted for me and, and the fact yeah. that I ended up responding better to the storytelling for the character of Thor himself. And this movie actually made me care about the character more. Um, I, I think the scene that really does it was the scene when they, you know, go to the planet, they have Jane and him and Loki are, are trying to draw Malekith to the, that planet and they're having the argument. And it's a really good scene between the brothers because Loki's trying to do his thing where he excuses his behavior and blames it on everybody else, and Thor won't let him do it. You know, he comes at it and says, no, you know why this happened. You know why our mother died. You know, like, he won't let Loki excuse his behavior. And... I really liked that scene and I liked what it did for the character of Thor, which is to be somebody who has started to take responsibility for his own actions, who who's become a person who instead of like the first movie was the playboy and he's learned the lesson, you know? And so I just, that scene alone really made me appreciate this character in a way that I haven't yeah, it's before. Yeah, a good scene. Yeah. yeah, and so, and this will be this. This is actually the scene that I think makes me feel the journey that Thor will go on in Infinity War, which mm. it's going to come, and it'll. It, but you know that strangely enough, that was one of the stories that I actually gravitated towards in Infinity War because I felt like they continued this thread of Thor kind of having the weight of the universe on his shoulders. And it, um, it being heavy, you know, and I appreciate anyway. So that for me, that's what changed, you know, um, that I actually have appreciation for this character that I've never had before. Uh, so, um, and yeah, that's fair. I didn't expect that to happen at all because, in all honesty, this has been at the bottom of my Marvel list forever. So, I expected nothing from this film, and maybe that's that's what helped, too, is that I came in expecting nothing, and so then when there were those surprises, it, it could help. Fair. I You know, I, I think it's fair. My my rating actually is uh, has changed, and I think primarily for the reasons I stated before, but also because, uh, again, it's not possible for it to disappoint me as much this time as it was the first time. Um, and so I think that, you know, some of these things that you're throwing out there is good. I, I agree. You know, I mean, Tom Hiddleston, I think again, 
solidifies why audiences love to see him and he's having a great time with the role. So that, that is a strong, uh, a strong performance. But the thing that we've really been remiss about is the Darcy Lewis factor. Did you like her character more than Thor as much as in Thor or less than in Thor? Uh, you know, I, I still like her, uh, in this movie. I think she is, um, I think one of the things that I noticed in this movie is they utilize her just enough. They don't give her mm. too much to do and they don't give her too mm. little to do. I, mm. it, she worked well enough for me. I know you don't like the meow meow joke, uh, but, um. No, really don't. And, uh. Really don't. But I still really enjoy her in this movie. And so, yeah, I'm going to say Darcy Lewis gets two thumbs up for me in this film. Kat, Den- Kat Dennings does exactly what she is supposed to do, and she is being the comic relief, and she is an incredibly gifted actress, and I like the way she does what she does. Did not care what they did with the character, care for what they did with the character, especially the intern bit, which was funny for about a minute, and then got awful by the end and mm-hmm. absolutely cringy sure when the way sure. it rounded out i, I can really understand that 100 and so darcy carries the burden of the intern with her mm. had they freed her from the intern burden i would have liked darcy more in mm-hmm. this movie right i because again i like kat dennings as a comedic actress right. i think she's got a gift I like watching her on screen, but that intern thing almost offensively yep. bad. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't really fault you for that. And because I do think the intern bit was just a little bit much. Um, yes. So, yes, it and was. it's, it, what's weird is that it's, it's not needed. I'm not really sure why they added there. I don't know if it was, that was one of those points where they were just like, Oh, we want to like throw something else in here that you know you can do, and and it just it's not needed. So uh, honestly, I think it's because they they felt like they needed to give Darcy somebody to have dialogue with in the mm. action moments. Yeah, because Jane isn't there so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't. You, you could have easily resolved that with uh, by just having her inter interact with um, mm-hmm. uh, Scarsgar's character, Eric. Sure. Sure. Just have them oh, interact yeah. more. Yeah. Well, Problem and this solved. is a, this is a point too, and, and and this is another place I think that we, it, you know, we're talking about side characters there with Darcy. This is another place where we don't really give any weight to Thor's friends. You know. Um, yeah. True. And, true. True. You know, I I think it's disappointing that um, you know character like Sif or any of the others doesn't really have enough to do in the movie. Uh, and so kind of frustrating. And it almost feels like you could just maybe just have Sif and forget the rest, honestly. Yes, I agree. I agree. So I got, I got to know you, you responded better mm-hmm. to something. Well, what are you, okay. What, what are you rating it? And where is it in the ranking? <laughs> Well, uh, to go with the rating first, uh, this moved up from, I think, I'm trying to remember what it was on Letterboxd when I went back. Uh, I don't, I think it might have been a two, uh, but this moved up from a two to a two and a half. Because oh, I do okay. think that this is half a good movie. 
it's mm. half a good movie, uh, which is what a two and a half is, right? You know, uh, out of five, it's there's half what you want in a film here, and the other half it's just like, oh, if they'd just gotten that half right, it could have been great, but it's not. And for all the reasons that we talked about. And so, um, where, and whereas, you know, uh, I responded better to it, which was awesome. Um, it's still only half a good movie. <laughs> mm, if that, if that. So where, where is it in your ranking? Well, or do we we'll want me to rate first. it first? Let me, let, okay. I got to hear right, what, right, uh, right, right, right. what your rating is. So. Now, see, it, it would be easy to make too much hay of this, but looking back, I gave this a one star the first time I saw it. Because nobody died. Yeah. I, yeah. No, half star is oh, if you didn't right. accidentally. That's where the half yeah. Star, yeah. Which, honestly, I have to drop that joke given a certain production's recent troubles. That joke is going to be retired out of respect for. It's understandable. I, I, for a while. I appreciate that. The, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the jokes will be retired for a while because people are going to think I'm making fun of that. And th- that is not the case. That joke is 10 years old at this point. I'm not. It is. If I, you'd listen to yeah. ner- uh, words with nerds, you'd know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the, this is. Yeah. The, the, it's an old joke, but nobody's going to know that. So there you go. Um, so there's the one. This this I, I know it at least goes up to a one and a half. I'm feeling kind. I'm feeling extremely kind. So I'm going to give it a two because I do agree with you that even though I think they overcompensated, Thor is a more fleshed out character here. I think that the sets, I think that the visual work is stronger. It feels like a more substantive Mm -hmm. set of places that I'm in. I think that the blending of the stuff in London with the ships was like the visual effects were really well done in certain scenes here. And so I have to give credit for that for just technical craft. Uh, And I I do. I think the score is great. So I'm going to go ahead and Mm. I'm going to move it up to a two. But I assure you that is the absolute ceiling for this. I'm I'm giving it a two to be generous and and kind for I'm a benevolent podcaster (laughs) and will therefore give it a two. Uh, well, okay, so with that being the case, then, you know, where does it fall then in the rankings? Now, we did revisit my rankings so that I could remember them this time, uh, because this is going to get to be really difficult for me because I cannot remember week to week most of the time. So we have Iron Man 3 still at the top, followed by Iron Man, Captain America, the first Avenger, the Incredible Hulk, Avengers. Thor, Thor the Dark World, and then bringing up dead last, dragging its rotten carcass behind everybody else. Ah, uh, you're whipping, boy. Iron Man 2. <laughs> Iron Man 2. I love it. That's fantastic. Um, so for me, it's, uh, it's Iron Man, uh, and then it's Iron Man 3, uh, yes. and then it's Captain America, the first Avenger, then uh, the Incredible Hulk, uh, the Avengers... Iron Man 2? No. You know what? Actually, I'm going to revise this. I'm going to revise Uh-oh. this. Thor uh-huh. the Dark World. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Iron but Man okay. 2 and then <laughs> Thor. You know, it's so fascinating how similar we are in that first chunk 
Yep. And then at the end is where we quibble. You know, and I Isn't just realized this, but the the thing was, and, and the thing where this, I was thinking in my head, okay, so like, what would I do? And I just realized though, that even though I gave Iron Man 2, I think a three, um, I would actually rewatch Thor The Dark World before Iron Man 2 because the thematic elements and the growth for the character of Thor is better than Iron Man 2. And so I, that's I, I, where that came in. I, w- I would also say, and this is, again, to hit the point on Iron Man 2 that, w- that we both talked about, I the photography was strangely incongruous with the first Iron Man in Iron yes. Man 2. Remember, and, like all, yeah. and the yep. editing was like yep. all off. It was like, what is yeah. going on here? And the photography in this is just fine and yeah. works. No, it's and, great. And yeah. So well, it's like and, and, uh, that edges I, if it I out alone. Correctly, uh, Alan Taylor had brought over somebody he worked with on Game of Thrones, so they were definitely Smart. working with you know the the kind of the lighting of that you would get on on that show, and so yeah, I you know it it's just fascinating to me that that this movie has has gone up in any kind of estimation. I never thought that it would it, it would hit you know it it would. I figured this movie would always stay at rock bottom, but it's mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so which is fascinating, and uh, I do actually have a new rock bottom on my uh letterbox. So <laughs> now, see, it, yeah, I know you do. Uh, but what's really interesting is I'm gonna keep beating on Iron Man too, and I think what would be fun for all of the listeners to go along with is try to project out. Okay, and it's only through the end, only through Endgame. Try to project out and share with us your guesses as to what is going to slide under Iron Man 2 before this is all over. I really want people to guess. So it, in the in the idea of the secret ballot, Matt, um, I we should probably tell them where we can uh, be reached online, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, if you want to find me, uh, look for Matt Rushing Zero Two. So, like, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or Letterbox, that's where you find me. Uh, you can also find me here on the network, of course, in the entire Six Hundred Two Club side of the network, where you find Assembling Avengers as well as Snyder Cuts, and of course, the main show, the Six Hundred Two Club, where we talk about all of the fandoms we love. Of course, on TFM, I'm also doing Literary Treks, The Orb, and Warp 5. Uh, Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, and then over on the Nerd Party Network, do two shows over there. And one's finished. Uh, it's was called Owl Post. No, oh, it's still called Owl Post, but uh, it was yeah. about Harry Potter, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time over there, Drea Kaufman and I. That's a super fun show, especially if you're into that series. And last but not least, of course, the illustrious John Mills and I talk about Star Wars each and every week over on Aggressive Negotiations, and it is a little slice of Star Wars heaven, so we hope you will check it out. Uh, but John... Yeah. If anybody does want to catch up with you and try and predict what's going to slide under Iron Man 2 for you, where can they find you? Well, gosh, you can find me, like you said, co-hosting with you Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast over on the Nerd Party. You can also uh, find me over on the Nerd Party 
co-hosting a show called House Lights with Tristan Riddell and Darren Moser, where we look at the works of directors, whether by decade, specific combinations, whole career, if the career is manageable sort of thing. Uh, so that's a lot of fun, though. Um, and you can find me as Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, where I alienate people on Twitter and delight the masses with my pithy movie reviews over on Letterboxd. So that's where you can find me. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us here on Assembling Avengers. Avengers! <laughs>